Please turn in your Bible with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 5. I want to add to something our service leader, Brad, our able service leader, said earlier. In addition to helping us find a big grill, if you could bring dessert or a side dish to the social next Sunday night, it starts at 5 o'clock. Uh, and if you would commit to doing that by writing the number of people in your party that you're bringing and, what you're, and that you're planning on bringing dessert aside or both, that would kind of help you lock it into your memory and help us kind of know who's planning on coming. And uh, we do want you to bring guests, but if you, if you can let us know that you're bringing them, that helps us make sure if we need to throw a few more uh, burgers on the grill, then we can do that. First Corinthians chapter 15, we're in a little three-part series. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 16. I said the wrong word chapter 16. We're in a little three-part series on consistency, and it's apt for us to be talking about consistency uh, because of the nature of this text and because of the fact that as Christians, God calls us to be consistent, calls us to be consistent. We've talked about consistency in giving. We will talk about consistency in our kindnesses to one another, but this week we're going to talk about consistency in service, and particularly in service to the gospel, consistency in service. I wrote out a few definitions from the dictionary of what consistency means. It means steadfast adherence to the same principles, course, or form, such as there is consistency in his pattern of behavior. Um, Consistency, steadfast adherence to the same principles, conformity in the application of something, staying the course, doing what we say we're going to do. And I believe that 1 Corinthians 16 talks about consistency. And the way that we're going to be looking at this this morning and the way that consistency brings joy to our lives if we live it out by faith is that when God gives us open doors, we need to be consistent in our discipline to walk through them. But we need to realize, and we're going to see in this text, I think, three things about the open doors that God calls us to serve in, because He is opening doors. But three things. The first one is, is that it's not easy to walk through the doors that God opens. Uh, the second one that we're going to see is that we're not supposed to walk through them by ourselves, that God calls us to cohorts and others, even examples. And the third thing that we're going to see is that walking through open doors doesn't split how we live from how we love. It doesn't split how we live from how we love. It's two sides of the same gospel coin, how we live and how we love. So that's, if you want to track the sermon this morning, uh, open doors are not easy to walk through, shouldn't be traveled alone, it shouldn't cause us to split how we live from how we love. And so we're going to see that in the text, and I'll kind of share it with you as we break it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, and this is, uh, is the first point. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide open door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You see that, that inspiration for this title about of this text about open doors there, consistency and serving and walking through open doors. You see that in that verse. And that those verses will be constituting our very first point. Our second point then begins in verse 10 and runs through verse 12. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, 
Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. And that constitutes our second point. Walking through open doors isn't to be done alone. It isn't easy. It isn't to be done alone. Finally, our third point comes out of the verses 13 and 14 that we're going to expound upon this morning. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then it also says, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And oftentimes we see those imperatives, how we live as separate from how we love. And, and God doesn't separate those things. So we're going to see that in our third point. So, now, that's how we're going to walk through it this morning. I hope that helps you. Be blessed by the sermon. Our po- first point is that in walking through open doors, it isn't easy. Sometimes we think that an open door from the Lord would be antithetical to having adversaries. When we think about having an open door from the Lord, it's like, oh, well, obviously this is easy. And so it must be an open door from the Lord. Well, I'm not going to say that God never gives you ease whenever he calls you to do something. I'm just going to say the biblical example is probably more along the lines of you being absolutely convinced and convicted that the Word of God is leading you towards some course of action and it being difficult. This gets into the Gospel of Matthew and what John Bunyan made famous in his Pilgrim's Progress with regard to a wide versus a narrow road. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way to eternal life. It involves dying to ourselves, living for Christ. This verse itself tells us that an open door to the gospel for Paul meant also having not just one, but many adversaries. You see that? Look down at verse number 9. A wide open door, or a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Do you see that? I think that is a very telling verse and, and is prescriptive for the Christian life, don't you think? Because we think of open doors as, oh, this is going to be kumbaya, but it's not. Open doors often is kind of like Nehemiah. He's supposed to build the wall and get it done fast, and does he... Does he have no adversaries whenever he builds that wall? Does he have absolute compliance from the people? Do the Israelites themselves want him to build the wall? He has all kinds of problems. Go read the book of Nehemiah and see. He literally, they have to have like a, a proverbial gun or a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other while they're building the wall. Because an open door from the Lord also means most of the time there will be many adversaries. And so I just want to pause for a moment this morning in this first point and just ask you if it's time to recalibrate how you think about God's moving in your life. If you think that God's moving in your life is all about rainbows and unicorns, you may have misunderstood what it means for God to move in someone's life. It's a call to die daily to yourself to live for Christ. Blessings galore in that, but the step of faith off into the deep end of the faith swimming pool is one of, oh my goodness, this is hard. Tremendous grace because He's going to save me. He's opened the eyes of my heart. 
I am assured that Christ is for me, so who can be against me? But to say that there won't be adversaries as you walk with the Lord, well, friends, that's just a farce. There will be adversaries from within and from without. Sometimes we'll be our own worst adversary. This is one of the reasons why we need one another in the church. I know we harp on this a lot, but it's such a biblical precept is that if we are going to be sustained in consistently serving the Lord by walking through open doors, we are going to need the brothers and sisters to help us see the adversary for what it is and to ward off the adversary. And that really leads us into our second point. So our first point is open doors aren't easy to walk through. If that's your paradigm, I hope this sermon will kind of flip it for you this morning. Because I think the Apostle Paul is giving us a really good example here. He sees an open door, but there are many adversaries. Our second point is, when we walk through open doors, we shouldn't do it alone. Now, I'm not trying to say that you'll never have to do a hard thing alone, because you will. I'm simply saying that you shouldn't have the habit as a believer of going it alone. Of going it alone. As a believer... God has adopted you into a family of believers, past, present, and future, and God gives you the riches of the one another's of the New Testament lived out locally in the local church by which you don't have to go it alone, and furthermore, it's unwise for you to go it alone. A lot of the dangerous places that we find ourselves with regard to faith and practice is trackable and a result of going it alone. We need one another studying the Word of God together like good, good students of Scripture so that we can come to right conclusions together from Scripture and then make right applications and be encouraged and fortified to have energy to stay with the thing that we said we were going to do. We first have to arrive at the right conclusions. But then once we decide it, we've got to have fortitude from the Spirit of the Lord meet it out and the encouragement of God's people, we have to have the fortitude to stay with it. And part of the way that I believe God accomplishes that is through each other. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Part of the way I believe that God accomplishes that is through each other. And so going through an open door is not meant for you to go best alone. You need to go with others. Let's do a text check here. Look down at verse 10 and following. When Timothy comes, so apparently Paul's protege Timothy is already on his way. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. Put him at ease. Don't make it hard on him. For he's doing the work of the Lord like I am. He's doing the work of the Lord like I am. And so let no one despise him. Put a, put a pin in it right there. This sounds a lot like 1 Timothy 4, 11 and following, where Timothy is exhorted by the Apostle Paul, don't let the church at Ephesus look down on you because you're younger. So there's this great balancing act going on in the New Testament where you're not supposed to rebuke an older person harshly, and where on the main, age should be a correlation with wisdom, and people like Timothy, where you have this exemplar who by age is younger, apparently, because Paul needs to tell him, don't let them look down on you because of your age, because of your apparent youthfulness compared to some of the other leaders and folks in the church. And so this is a, a very similar sounding phrase here. 
apparently it was a refrain, let no one despise him, Timothy. It says, help him, that word help intimates helping with his traveling, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. So there is a cohort here for sure, implying relationship in the cause of the gospel. Look at verse 12. There's another name dropped for examples and friendships in the gospel and not going it alone. It says, now concerning, which means the Apostle Paul is responding to something they had inquired of him about. Remember, they didn't have the Scriptures written down yet, at least not the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And so this is, this is something that's coming out in the first century. AD 50s, the Scriptures are being written down. They were written by the end of the first century. We don't have new Scripture coming to us after that. And so he's writing to address concerns in the Corinthian church, but in a very real way, he's writing to address concerns in every church because the Spirit knew that this would be relevant to us today. And so when it says, now concerning our brother Apollos, we can imply, we can impose our own thoughts on that with regard to now concerning our brother or our sister so-and-so. It's not as if this doesn't apply to us. It most certainly does. It's the nature of Scripture. Now concerning our brother Apollos, who apparently was a little older, apparently a good teacher, apparently so well-liked by the Corinthian church that if you read chapter 1 afresh of 1 Corinthians, there was some factions forming around different leaders in the church And it seems that Paul and Apollos are working together to quell that spirit of dissension, but it was really happening. And 1 Corinthians 1, if you read through it with that in mind, you'll see that. That'll resound for you. And the way he talks about Apollos here, it seems that Paul and Apollos aren't having any kind of power struggle. It's the Corinthian church that are sort of saying, well, I follow Apollos. Well, well, I follow Paul. You know, I follow follow so-and-so. I follow so-and-so. And what he's saying here, I think, impliedly by answering their question is, Apollos is with me and I'm with Apollos and you shouldn't be trying to divide up the leaders of the church. That's not a very wise thing to do. Any more than you should divide up folks by age, you shouldn't divide up folks by who you think's more personable or more exhortative or more charismatic or who you connect with better or whose personality doesn't necessarily clash with yours and is in agreement with yours. He's almost saying by default on balance in 1 Corinthians these things. He says about Apollos, I urged him strongly to visit you, verse 12, with the other brothers, but it wasn't at all Apollos' will. Some commentators think that the reason that Apollos didn't come at this time is because he didn't want to come on the scene before Paul got there because there was a tendency for some of them to elevate Apollos over Paul, and Apollos didn't want to be a problem. Maybe Paul didn't think it would be a problem. There's obviously some background noise going on here and some discussions, but it says it wasn't Apollos' will to come at that time, and so Paul says... Relentlessly, relenting, he says, so Apollos will come when he has the opportunity. Maybe Apollos was working with him in Ephesus. There is a chain of, in, during the missionary journey in the AD 50s, there's a, a chain of actions and interactions between what's written in Acts and what's written in these letters, such as 1 Corinthians, and you can kind of track the timeline and figure out possibly when they went and when they came and who was with whom and so on. But Apollos and Paul were contemporaries. The Apostle Paul is commending Apollos by the words that he says here, and when it is time, Apostle, or Apollos will come, and when it's time, the Apostle Paul will come as well. I want, to know, I want to say one more thing about this before we make application in the second point about walking through open doors, not by ourselves. I want you to notice the desire of spending quantity and not just quality of time together. Uh, look up at uh, verse 6. What Paul is wanting to do is he actually wants to spend the winter... He wants to go and stay. He doesn't just want to drop by and leave. 
And he wants, verse 7, not just to go in passing, but he wants to spend time with them. Of course, he adds it if it's God's will. And we should always add that too, right? If the Lord permits. Some of the most faithful Christians I know, they keep that in their vocabulary, and I think we should do that too if we haven't already. Uh, you know, hey, I'm planning on you know, coming to see you if the Lord wills. And, and what happens is you, you, know, you sort of think that's a throwaway statement, but it's not. Because what we are saying, <coughs> excuse me, what we're saying when we say if the Lord wills or if the Lord permits is we're saying it's good for me to make plans based on faithfulness that the, if the Lord tarries in his return, if he doesn't return right away. But it's also important for me to realize that the Lord may return, consummate his kingdom, or he may not permit for me to do that thing which I feel like I should do. So we have these, these, both of these things going on. We have this, this godly call toward going through open doors and serving the Lord, being consistent in the application of our ethic as Christians. And at the very same time, we have this sense in which the disclaimer is always, if God wills, if God permits it, that's good for me. If God, if God wants me to, I will. I wonder if that's in your vocabulary, in your conversation patterns. If it's not, perhaps you should think of it that way. James has a verse similar, if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills. The Bible's pretty consistent with this. I think we should be also, uh, I'm not saying get ridiculous with it, like I'm going to bring you dinner tonight if the Lord wills. I don't guess that's ridiculous, but I'm saying if you're making plans for something, uh, consider that it only comes to pass if the Lord wills. Now, back more to the point, when we walk through open doors, it's not best done alone. It's better done together. The Apostle Paul lives this for us, and he wants us to spend time together, and he's willing to model that which he expects, spending time together. Not just quantity of time, quality of time. If the Lord wills it, he doesn't just want to see people converted. He wants to see them discipled. He doesn't just want to see them converted. He wants to see them discipled. I was reading in the New American Commentary, and, or the NIV Application Commentary, and this is what they said about this point said, Paul's concern with quantity and not just quality of time spent with the believers is instructive. Paul was never merely content to evangelize, make converts, and move on. This is a big concern I have for youth camp, student camp. They have to be evangelized, must be converted, or they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the apostle Paul was never content just to evangelize and convert. He was deeply concerned to spend quality time with them. Why? To disciple them in the things of the Lord. This commentator said it this way. Our ministry is first a discipling ministry. Discipleship is a lost art in many Christian circles today, sadly. We have numerous prominent evangelists whose messages seemingly bring many to Christ, but whose follow-up leave a majority to fall by the wayside. The discipleship programs that we do institute in churches often substitute programs and packaging for personal modeling and intimacy of the ways of the Lord. As Christians, we need quantity as well as quality time with each other. All the more in our fast-paced, transient, fractured society. Would you agree? I would agree. Would you agree? We agree. Discipling is the call. 
we talk about the nine marks of the healthy church uh, from time to time in this church. It's in our book stall out there. It's, it's a helpful read if you've never read anything like that, the nine marks of the healthy church. One of the marks is discipling. If you're reading along through that book and you're tracking the author's discussion points, you might be surprised like I was when you get to that eighth mark, disciples, discipling, because what he says is, is that discipling is the most important and initial mark of anything in the whole book. He actually said that the reason that he wrote the book about what it means to be a healthy church is because he discerned that the church was relatively unhealthy, biblically unhealthy, because he saw so few people being discipled in the Word of God. He said it was, an, it was, it was a kind of an anomaly to see two or three people in a church instead of 20 or 30 people in a church that had deep moorings in the Word of God that had been discipled and that were discipling. So the whole point of the book is discipling, which kind of puts the cookies on the bottom shelf and makes them accessible. This is what we're supposed to be about, growing one another up in the Word of God, teaching one another, abiding with one another, spending time with one another in the Bible, in Bible study. When you spend time with other believers, read a verse of Scripture. Open the Bible. Bring it to bear. I can't tell you how many times I've been with other believers and I've been thinking to myself, eh, we'll just spend a good time together. We won't read the Bible. Oh, we won't pray. And the Spirit will just work on me and work on me. And eventually, somebody, will, somebody else or I'll open the Bible, we'll read a verse or two. And it's like the floodgates of blessing and understanding and commonality, they open up. Why? Because God moves through His people, by His Spirit, through His Word. He intends for us to read Scripture together. And it's important that we do it together and not alone. So when we're walking through open doors, it's important that we hold on to this discipling mission and that we do it together. The intention of these verses, I believe, is to show us that we need one another and we need our examples in the faith, older or younger, Apollos or Timothy. We need them. Now, our first point is walking through open doors is not easy. There will be adversaries. The second point is walking through open doors is not best done alone. It's better done with other examples in the faith and other believers in the faith. It's a discipling ministry. Our third point is not less important. Walking through open doors is not about how only how you live it or how you love it. It's about how you live and how you love. We don't pit those two things against each other. That's verse 13 versus verse, verse 14. So look at these verses afresh. Let's read them together. Verses 13 and 14. Here's what they say. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So that first verse is like, be on guard against allowing sin to go unchecked in your life. Be on guard against selfishness, against idolatry, and against legalism. So it's, it's stand firm against teachers who don't preach and live out the cross, against the denial of core doctrines such as the resurrection, which was preached in chapter 15. Verse 13 is, is an, another imperative. Be men of courage rather than accepting divisions. Stand up for unity. Don't be swayed by what's popular and wise in the eyes of the surrounding culture and the world. Be men of faith. Act like men. Fourthly, be strong. Be strong. Jeremiah, or, or rather, Joshua says, be strong and courageous. Look out for other Christians. Be strong. But then there's verse 14. 
It's not just be, be, be. It's not just be on guard and stand firm and be men of courage and be strong. It's not just these imperatives, which they're very important imperatives. It's how we live out our faith. We live for Jesus. And it's not easy all the time. But on the same side, on the other side of that same gospel coin is love. It's not all that we need. We need love's fruits. We need to be strong and be on guard and stand firm and be men of courage in the faith. But we need to express ourselves in love. This verse 14 says it this way, and so does verses 22 and 23, which Lord willing we'll get to next week, talking about our need for godly affection, charity, love. It says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. So we should not separate what God has joined together. Two sides of the same gospel coin here is the truth about the way that we're supposed to live and the love that we are supposed to exhibit that's supposed to imbibe all that we do, our attitudes and our actions. And boy, I'm indebted to Mark Dever in the Nine Marks of the Healthy Church for helping me understand those two things. I hope that they'll bless you and help you too. So be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong, and let all that be done, not with a hard and brazen edge, but let it be done in love. Some of you today, you've bought into the world's false dichotomy that if you're going to be truthful, then you can't be loving. And if you're going to act in love, then you can't be truthful. And those things are not separate. This is the one place where you can be a part of a community that loves you that at the same time will not condone your behaviors if they're out of step with the gospel. That is rare, but it is true here. We love each other and we tell each other the truth. We care for each other and we study precept upon precept for what God says for our lives. In all of this, and it is a lot, Pentecost, time permitting, we could have talked about Pentecost uh, in the early church. We could have talked about Macedonia and their generosity and the geography and Paul's travel plans. And I mean, we are leaving a lot on the table here this morning, right? Amen. There's a lot of things we could talk about that we're not going to take the time to talk about this morning. But in conclusion, we want to remind ourselves that God is opening doors for the gospel. He is question is, do we have a biblical enough saturation to actually know what it looks like to walk through it? Because my fear is, is that we think open doors don't have adversaries. Clearly they do. We think open doors is all about me and what I discern and going it all by myself and not having the counsel of the elders, not having the counsel of the other members. Not true. Going through open doors is about the counsel of others. And even when you have to do something alone, you're not all alone. It's about caring about one another, point number three, and at the same time that we care in love, we also care in truth. Walking through open doors does not split truth and love. It sees them as just as married as God does. And so this is what we are to think about, I think, as a result of this text. And I think in thinking about these things, we will embrace the discipling ministry that God has given us, and we will continue to see the fruit of the Spirit, which we're seeing in our churches. We're seeing it in our church. We're seeing it in the churches that we fellowship with. God is being good to us, and I'm thankful for it. Let's bow our heads and pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we walk out from this text and try to walk in step with the Spirit that you've granted us by faith. If there be one here today that has never received your gospel, that doesn't know you personally, it is our sincere prayer that they would receive your good news by faith and believe on you for eternal life. I would like for you to help us to see open doors and to time our travel patterns and to time our behaviors around open doors for the gospel and walking through them even when it's difficult. Help us to do it. Help us to do it with one another and help us to do it in a way that is both truthful and loving. Please, O oh Lord, grant us your grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.